Well, a uh, reoccurring nightmare just happened to me. One of the things I never hope happens is that somebody says, yay, when I get done preaching. So uh, that was adorable, by the way. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I also want to say welcome to those joining us online today. Our hope is that you will keep tuning in to join this conversation. But at some point, we'd love to see you in this room with us. But I especially want to say thank you to all of those in here that may be our first-time guests. And my encouragement to you would be to keep coming back, come back at least two or three times to get a good feel on who we are. And along the way, if you have any questions, feel free to pull us aside, go to guest services, and we'll do our best to answer any questions that you might have. Well, last week, Corey kicked us off in this new series called D Church. And uh, if you, I should, let me say this really quick. If you ever miss a sermon here at Trace, I want to encourage you to get on our website at tracechurch.com. And you can actually go back and catch up on any sermons that you might have missed. I know some people, because you've communicated this to me, uh, you kind of came to Trace a little bit later in the game, but you've gone back and actually watched all of our sermons. So awesome. I really, we really appreciate you uh, just wanting to know more about who we are in that way. And so you can always do that. And the reason that I say that right now is because if you missed Corey's sermon last week, it was one of those sermons where I would say, go back and uh, check it out because he did such a great job introducing this series and I want to mention a point specifically that he brought up uh, and we, I just want to revisit quickly this morning and it's this he, here's what he said he said how you view the church will directly reflect how you respond to it and friends really this is why we decided to do this series because not only do we need to take a second look on how we respond to the church but we need to think about why others are responding to the church the way that they are. We all have a response, don't we? All of us. All of us respond to the church in a certain way, and the fact that you're here today, the fact that you're in this room, tells me that you have a favorable response to the church. Either that, or you're a glutton for punishment, and that's kind of weird that you would do that to yourself, but we're still glad you're here, if that's you. Um, but we all have a response to the church. Now, some of you, your response has not always been favorable. And I know this because I've had conversations with you. I've had conversations with many of you, and for a long season... You decided that church was no longer going to be a part of your routine. And maybe it was experiences on the other end of a bad church experience, on the other end of a Christian who really wasn't representing the love of the Father very well. And so for you, you're like, you know what? If that's what it's, if that's what it's like, if that's what it's going to be, no thanks. No thanks. But then many of you, for whatever reason, however you found out about Trace, and again, we're nothing special. We, there's tons of good churches out, out there, but... For some reason, when you landed here at Trace, it allowed you to reconnect and reignite your faith once again. I guess you could kind of call us like a rebound girlfriend is what we've been for many of you. That's a really weird analogy uh, to use in church. But the difference with us is if you ever leave us, like you're condemned to hell. So make sure you understand. No, I'm just kidding. That is not a true statement. It's not a true statement. Guys, here's what I want to do today. I want to kind of break up this sermon in three parts. And here's what those will look like. First, I want to talk about the kind of church that we want to be. And I want to talk about how we want to challenge the status quo. This is something that we talk about a lot behind the scenes. Because for many of us, we grew up in church environments, and we bring those experiences in here, and oftentimes we think, well, that's the way that church is supposed to be done, when in all honesty, God has given us a pretty large sandbox to play in, and so we need to de-church to think about how we're going to reach people who are far from God. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Then I, I want to talk to you about things that are happening in our culture and define for you a few terms 
that uh, people in my position talk about often when it comes to how our culture is changing, specifically the culture in America. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And then I want to close our time together by talking about a parable that Jesus told. And this parable is probably one of the best parables that reflects the love of the Father. And listen to me. Guys, if we get everything else wrong, everything else wrong as a church, we have to make sure that we get this one thing right. And that is reflecting the love of the Father. Why? Well, I think we would say for a lot of obvious reasons, but at the end of the day, this is His church. It's not mine. It's not any one of ours. This is His church, and so we better be reflecting the Father's love. Here's where I want to start. A couple weeks ago, I received an email, and this is not uncommon for, for this to happen. Sometimes they're encouraging emails from you. Other times they're critical emails, and we read them, and again, even in the critical emails, I've learned that there's probably a nugget of truth to be taken uh, from those, and especially if people kind of handle themselves in a polite and gentle way. Uh, we don't mind that feedback. We really don't. And so I was reading an email that was a little bit more critical, and uh, one of the, and this person was, again, he was, he was handling this gently, and so I was trying to hear what he had to say. And then he, he, he asked this question, and he said, Aaron, don't you want to know that if you asked everybody in your church that if they knew who Jesus was, if they had put their faith in Jesus and knew they were going to heaven, wouldn't you want everyone in your church to raise their hand? And I probably shocked him like I'm about to shock you. Now, before I do, I want everybody to say this out loud. Ready? Aaron is not a heretic. <laughs> Here's why I need to say that. If every week I came in here and I said, hey, if you know who Jesus is and hey, if you put your faith in Jesus and you know you're going to heaven and if everybody in here raised their hand, I would be thankful on one end and on the other end I'd want to quit. Because we didn't start this church just to entertain a bunch of people who are already convinced of who Jesus is. We intentionally set out to create an environment, a place, a context in which people who are struggling in their faith, people who are struggling with this idea of, is Jesus who he said he is? Because at the end of the day, a lot of people have been portrayed an image of Jesus that is not accurate, and so we want to give people a safe place to come and land to maybe relearn who Jesus actually is. We want people to have a safe place to come and wrestle with their doubts, wrestle with their concerns and their lack of belief. And we don't ever want them to feel like, hey, if I don't believe what the rest of these people believe, then I really can't belong. That is not what we want to happen here. But make sure you don't hear what I'm not saying. Does that mean I don't want everyone to come to a saving faith in Jesus? Absolutely not. Of course, I want everyone to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. If I didn't, then I need to be fired. I don't know. I do not need to be up here. You probably heard me say this before. We will do everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Everything we can short of sin to reach people far from God outside of these doors. Meaning, if you were to tell me by running down the street of downtown Colorado Springs, butt naked, if that would allow us to reach one person for Jesus, I would absolutely have Corey do that. <laughs> and friends, the reason why I want to talk about this today is because of a couple reasons. It's important for you to know the kind of church that you're going to be a part of. 
And we've said this before. We get that not every church is for everyone. Our hope is that this church is for you. But don't expect to come in here and be like, hey, I want to bring all of my past church experiences and put them on the table and then say, hey, I expect you to do things this way. And it's not to say that we won't do some things that are similar, but we are challenging the status quo here at Trace Church so that our hope is that we can reach people far from God. And we're going to build on this one, this big idea today, this one thing, and it's going to be this. Instead of thinking... What can I get out of this? When it comes to church, instead of thinking, what can I get out of this? We need to be thinking about who can we get in to this? And let me remind you of something that Jesus once said that maybe will help us out today in this conversation. Matthew 9, he says this, who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders not coddle insiders. Church, let me echo the sentiments of my Lord and my leader. We're not here to entertain Christians. We're not here to entertain anybody. We're here to think about and pray about and work hard on trying to figure out what it means to reach people far from God. And let me make this a little bit more personal for you. Friends, we have put this setting and this type of context of church together for your friends, for your family members, people that you've talked to, talked to me about almost on a weekly basis, your brother, your sister, maybe even your spouse, that coworker, maybe that lifelong friend who doesn't know who Jesus is. Maybe they do, maybe they don't live in Colorado Springs, but we're creating a context for those people to be able to come in and feel like it's a safe place to ask questions about who God is, but we will never, ever, ever neglect why we do what we do. We do this because we want everyone to come to a saving faith in Jesus. Our hope in putting this church together is that we wouldn't be alone in any of this, but that we would actually allow you the opportunity to partner with us so that we can reach people far from God because it's going to take all of us. But when we start getting churched in the way that we think and we the longer that you've been in church man the more likely this is a a possibility where you become church and you bring your expectations into church and you start saying hey i want you to entertain me and so let me again remind us of our one thing today instead of thinking about what we can get out of this we need to be thinking about who can we get into this now based on the trends that we see happening in our country right now Uh, This subject is very important. People that are in my position look at uh, these trends all the time. There's a lot of books being written about these things. It's something that I pay close attention to because uh, the things that are happening in our country are happening really fast. There's a lot of trends uh, that are a little bit worrisome. And so I want to introduce to you two groups of people that are two of the fastest growing groups of people in our nation right now. And this maybe will help you give you give to give you some more context of why we do things the way that we do things. I want to introduce you to these two terms, nuns and duns. And here's how I would define each. Nuns are people who don't affiliate with any type of belief system or religion. And duns would be people who believe in Jesus, but they're done with the church. Many of you were duns for a long season of your life before you got reconnected through this place that we call Trace. Now, categorically speaking, the nuns are considered to be the fastest growing group of people in our nation right now. 
In the last seven years, nuns have risen from 15% to 24% of our population. And one-third of people under the age of 30 actually fall into this category. And this last one really took me by surprise. 78% of nuns say they grew up with religion but left over a lack of belief. Now, you may be asking yourself a question or saying something, something like this. Aaron, are you concerned? Like, are you concerned about this? This is kind of scary. Does this mean the church is dying? It's no longer relevant? And I would say absolutely not. It's worrisome, but I'm not concerned. And so for those of you that don't have a bigger context of the bigger C church, which is all believers everywhere and what God is accomplishing throughout this world, here's a couple things I want to bring your attention. Number one, the church in America has been on decline for several decades, and I could give you a lot of reasons why I think that's the case. We're not going to get into that today. But you go to big countries like India, South Korea, China, the church is booming. When I say booming, I'm talking millions of believers. Millions of people coming to faith in Jesus. And what's interesting is you look in some of those areas, and it's areas where they're being persecuted the most. That's why Corey made the joke last week that we need to start persecuting you more, and maybe we'll start to see some more fruit. So am I concerned? I'm not. But I, it is worrisome. And I want to pay attention to these trends because it should cause us as a church to challenge the status quo and why we do what we do. Now, here's, how def- or here's some things about duns that you might want to know. Duns are people who were, cons- uh, who were once connected to a church, but have left. They still profess faith in Jesus, but have decided church offers litter- little to no value. Oftentimes, they have left over negative church or Christian experiences. Some of you know what I'm not, exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Whether it was you or a son or daughter or somebody that you know, that they had an experience like this where they haven't backed away from Jesus. They've just backed out on the church. Many years ago, uh, Emily and I were attending a big denominational church back in Kentucky together. And again, if you're new to church denominations, big ones, you know, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterians, Lutheran, Catholic, you know, different things like that. And so uh, we were attending a church, and this preacher was getting really riled up. And finally, he got to the point to where, I don't know if he planned to say this or he just said it, and he said, and the Dixie Chicks need to be buried face down because that's where they're going. And I turned to look at Emily to say, we are never coming back here, but she was already up out of her seat. Now, she wasn't leaving. She was up saying, amen, preacher, you tell her. No, she didn't do that. My wife would never. (laughs) She's going to kill me. Um... You see, people in my position often haven't done a great job in reflecting the heart of the Father. And it's because of that, and things like this, maybe some of you grew up in churches like this, where people say, you know what, if this is what this is supposed to be, if this is what church is, I really don't see Jesus being that way, but if this is what church is, no thanks. No thanks. And this leads me to want to share a parable with you, because if we get everything else wrong, but get one thing right. It has to be reflecting the love and the heart of our Father. Let me uh, give you some context to this story. Now, again, if you're new to a church and um, even Bible and studying the Bible and different things, uh, Jesus told stories. It's one of the things I loved about Jesus. He made things so incredibly practical. Now, something interesting, if you do some research, you'll find that some of the parables, some of the stories that Jesus told were not original to himself. Now, stay with me because this is actually really important. Some of the parables that Jesus told, he would have actually taken from other rabbis, 
rabbis that have, had told stories over the centuries or really over the decades, and he would take that story, but then he would often change a critical moment in that story to prove a different point or to set a different path. And oftentimes he was doing this to try to get the attention of the Pharisees, the churched people of the day, the super religious. And this story that we're about to read is one of those parables. When Jesus begins to tell it, the, the Pharisees that are in the audience would have been like, oh yeah, I've heard this story. But wait for it, because he changes the story. Now, in the beginning, it's Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can ch- turn there. Uh, I want to give some context to this, so I'm going to read to you what Luke says in the beginning of this chapter before we jump into the parable. Here's what Luke Luke says in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. He says this, The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, I want you to pay attention because this was a point of emphasis. Now, it was one thing to hang out with sinners. It was another thing to eat with them because to eat with them, now you're going to a deeper level of intimacy. And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the church people of his day are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, you're you're messing all this up. And let me do this. This may be helpful. Let me define how I'm referring to church people, okay? Because to some extent, we're all kind of church people if we've been in the church. But when I say the word, here's what I'm referring to. It's people who have become so accustomed to churchy things that they have lost sight of lost people. They say, hey, we know how to do this. So don't change what we're so familiar with. And so Jesus, as he's telling the story, beginning, getting ready to tell the story, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. He's already told the story. For those of you that are familiar, he tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then he, then he gets to this point because he can tell he's not getting through to the Pharisees. And so maybe Jesus thinks to himself, you know what, I'm going to tell a parable that they've heard before, but I'm going to switch it because they need to understand something. They need to see something that they obviously are missing. So here's what he says. I'm going to pick up in verse 11. To illustrate, the, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now I'm going to pause in between some of these passages to give you some historical context. Let me pause here. Uh, first thing you need to know was this. Historically, if you were to dis, disown your father before he died, exactly what this son is doing. If you were to ask for your inheritance ahead of time, it was like the biggest thing you could do to be disgraceful to your family. I mean, you, didn't, you never dishonored the father. You just did not do that, especially in this context. And so this son is not only dishonoring his father, but he's doing the worst thing he could do. He's saying, Dad, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I'm done. Just give me what's rightfully mine, and I'm going to go my own way. Now, for those of you that are new to church and new to all this, uh, let me uh, give you a spoiler alert here and tell you who these people represent in the story. First, the father does represent our heavenly father. The younger son represents all those who are running away from God. Nuns, duns, people who have decided, you know what, it's not for me. I'll take all the good gifts that you've already given me, God, even though I don't even give you credit for them sometimes, and I'm going to go do my own thing. And then the older brother in this story represents church people. Now, in this particular context, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. It's the older brother represents the Pharisees. He's trying to get their attention to, be, to let them see you're missing it. 
You're missing it. So he picks up in verse 13. At this point, the Pharisees are listening, and they're like, okay, I've heard the story before. We're all good. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. I used to be a prodigal. And one thing that I could tell you about being a prodigal and identifying with this story is there's some things that only the pigs can teach you. Many of you have had your own struggles through life. Many of you have suffered with different types of addictions. And maybe you're like this son, and even like me in some cases, where you got so far away and you started following your own wishes and your own desires so much that you got so far away from where you ever thought you would be that you find yourself doing things that were unimaginable at one point in your life. And you get to a, you're, you get to a point where you think, man, I have gone so far away that I now know that I have to follow God's will. And maybe you've heard this old adage, sometimes you don't know Jesus is all you need until you know that Jesus is all you got. Picked up in, let me pick up in verse 17. He says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's preparing his speech. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and let's slow down. And while he was still a long way off, don't miss this. You see, the father was busy. Imagine all the things that our heavenly father thinks about, and I don't even <laughs> to even say he thinks is probably not accurate. This father was running a farm. He had plenty of things to keep him busy all the time. But as soon as the son finally had a moment of truth where he realized he had gone too far away from the father's love and he realized what the father was able to give him, he had a moment of truth and he repented, which literally means to turn. And he started heading back in the father's direction. And he didn't have to go searching too long for the father, did he? Why? Because the father was looking and saw him while he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And I love this, the father doesn't even care about his speech, but he goes right into his response because his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine that was dead has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Friends, you know why we can throw parties. And if you're new here, one of our key traces is actually we throw incredible parties. We can throw incredible parties because the father is pleased. Our Father 
just happened. Let me point out some things that just happened here. Where the son was coming expecting disgrace, the father met him with an embrace. Where the son was expecting pity, the father met him with empathy. Where the son was expecting a reprimand, he was given the father's extended hand. If we get everything else wrong in this church, the one thing that we have to get right is reaching people far from God by showing them the love of the Father. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, man, what's going on? And he said that your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. I don't know if this is you this morning, but sometimes what happens as we challenge traditional ways of doing church, and we're going to continue to do this when we challenge the status quo, and let me make something crystal clear this morning. We're never going to change the mission. Jesus put that in place, in stone. That is the mission, but he never said we couldn't change the methods. And you will even see the methods be changed throughout the New Testament as they were either meeting Greek people or Jewish people or Gentiles. And friends, what happens is the longer that we're in church, the more that we start to get church and we start to set expectations of what the church is supposed to be and we start focusing on the insiders and we forget about the people that exist outside of these walls. But the father doesn't just wait for the prodigals to come through those doors. The father runs after them. And he doesn't get to them and tell them with all the things that they've done wrong and, hey, you better clean up your act before you come back into my house. No, he meets them with an embrace. He meets them with love. He meets them with an open arms. Friends, if we get everything else wrong as a church, may we never get wrong the love of the Father. Verse 29, but he replied, all these years, this is the older son. Sometimes this is us, right? This is the church people. This is the Pharisees. He's getting the attention of the Pharisees. Oh, I messed up. Let me back up really quick. So Jesus changed the story at one point in this, in this story, right? At what, what he would have told originally was, yes, the son came, asked for his inheritance originally. He would have gone. He spent all his money. He was with the pigs. And then he was down in the marketplace begging and the father would have come into the city, and when he saw his son, he would have smacked him and said, you're no son of mine. I disown you. And so when Jesus changes the story, when Jesus changes the story to show the love of the father completely embracing and welcoming and watching and waiting for the son to come back home, the Pharisees start to get really uncomfortable because they're like, this is not how the story goes. Man, the older brother, he's the one that you need to be honoring. The older brother is the one that's been here the entire time. He's the one that you need to be giving a party for. But Jesus changed the story. And then the older brother replies, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all the time you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, th yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. What about me? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. 
We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. This is personal to me. This is also why I have such a holy discontent to do church differently and to reach people outside of these walls. Because as a prodigal who came home, first thing that I would mention is that there was somebody waiting for me. When I finally realized the depth of my sin and I repented and I turned and I headed back in the Father's direction, there was one man specifically waiting for me. And his name was John. And John was there to be available, to be interruptible. He, was, he lived an interruptible life and he taught me the Father's love. But then I got back into a church and I wanted to start getting involved and there were some big brothers, some church people, who didn't think that I should be able to come back with such open arms. And I get it. I get it. But I can't dismiss this story. Friends, here's what I want to tell all of us. This church is not going to be a church that waits for people to come through those doors. We're going to run after them. We want you to run after them with us. We're going to be the kind of people that live interruptible lives so that when that person that you've asked 20, 30, 40, 50 times to come to church or you want to talk to them about Jesus and they refuse it, there's, excuse me, there's some things that only the pigs can teach you. At some point in their life, they may finally realize, for whatever reason, you know what? My way is not getting me to where I want to go, and they turn. And at that point, we need to be there, and we need to be available, and we need to be able to talk to them about the love of the Father and how He's not meeting them with disgrace, but He's meeting them with an embrace. Friends, we're not going to wait for people to come through those doors. We have to be a church that is willing to run after the prodigals. Will you run with us? Friends, we want to challenge the status quo of how church is done. And if these trends are true, and the majority, the, like the biggest growing population are people who say, you know what, I'm not affiliated with any belief. Maybe we need to start thinking about changing our methods. Never the mission, but changing our methods. This is not just lip service. Because here's what we're going to do next week. Next week, we're going to move all these chairs out of this room. And we're going to bring in 20 to 30 tables. And we're going to put chairs around those tables and we're going to have what we call church around a meal remember what they said about jesus man jesus you're hanging out with sinners like this is not good you're even eating with them maybe jesus knew something that we need to learn better maybe the best place to begin a relationship is around a table around a meal and so i don't know who that friend is for you but i want to encourage each and every one of us to invite that person, I don't care how simple or how, how far they're running from God right now, to come and just sit around a table. There'll be a little bit of teaching time, but mainly when we want to prompt conversations for you to get to know each other around the table. Corey's going to give you more instructions about that later, about what that's going to look like. And so um, would, you, would you partner with us? Go chase after the prodigals that are running far from God. And let's begin with not telling them how they have to beha- behave, but let's begin with a conversation around a meal. Our hope is that you'll partner with us in that. Let me remind us one more time. Friends, instead of thinking about what we can get out of this, let's start thinking about who we can get into this. Let me pray for us. Father, this story 
it really still blows my mind. Sometimes I read this story and I'm like, well, wait a minute, he needs some accountability. You need to at least tell him what he's done wrong. You need to show him that this is not how he's allowed to live anymore. But that's not what you did. That's not what Jesus tells. It's not the story he unfolds. Instead, he tells us the story of you embracing all of those that have run far from you, even dishonoring you at some point in their life. But when they were willing to turn back and head in your direction, you were still looking for them. And you weren't ready to meet them with disgrace, but you were ready to meet them with an embrace. God, would you show us what that looks like in our own personal lives? I'm not sure we get this right very often. And the more that we are in church, the more we seem to become church and we start to think we know what we're, you know, how to do this and we want things to be catered to us. God, would you, would you show us that this was really never about us. It was about sending people out to chase after products. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.